Welcome to the CrimeCast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Zabota Kindle, VP of Product Development for ACFCS. And on this episode, we're going into a journey into the crypto sphere, focusing on the evolution of digital assets and, most importantly, why that matters for the traditional financial sector. And when I say digital assets, the largest and most notable one is, of course, cryptocurrencies. It's been a wild ride for cryptocurrencies in recent years. Since their early days as a more esoteric online oddity, crypto has evolved into an increasingly mainstream asset class traded by individuals uh, and an increasing number of financial institutions like OTC desks and hedge funds. Of course, their use as an investment vehicle is only one of a growing number of use cases. And as crypto acceptance increases, banks and other institutions in the so-called legacy financial space can no longer afford to write off crypto as a fad or a scam. That means financial institutions must reckon with crypto risk and exposure and understand that the regulatory landscape is developing around it. In this session of the CrimeCast, we're pleased to have two crypto experts and enthusiasts to give you a primer on these topics and much more, exploring what counts as good crypto and bad crypto, uh, giving advice on risk rating techniques for the crypto space, and explaining why more regulation on cryptocurrencies is likely to be a good thing for everyone, whether you're a legacy institution or otherwise. Very pleased to welcome on this session, Doug McCalman, the Senior Solutions Consultant with BAE Systems Applied Intelligence and a blockchain subject matter expert in his own right. He's joined by Steve Ryan, the Chief Operating Officer with blockchain forensics firm CypherTrace, and uh, he is a serial entrepreneur with a wealth of experience ranging from major credit card processor to global payment systems, global banks, online banks banking provider, uh, several security startups. That's a lot, but it certainly gives him a unique perspective with which to view the crypto space. And uh, Doug's going to be leading the conversation here. So Doug and Steve, thank you so much for being here and please take it away. Great. Thanks very much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Thanks. Thanks, Steve, for participating. Um, Steve, in my travels uh, in the crypto sphere, uh, if you will, Uh, I still run across a large number of institutions and individuals within those institutions who believe cryptocurrency is kind of a passing fad. Um, You know, they they reference Tulip Bubble, they reference Ponzi scheme, and they're still not buying into what I would consider to be a legitimate payment rail. Um, what, What do you say to those skeptics out there who don't believe they need to pay as much attention as they should to cryptocurrencies because they do believe it's a passing fad? That's a great question, Doug. At CypherTrace, what we've seen is um, in in the last year, we've begun to help banks understand how much crypto is in their payment rails. So one of the things we've seen is every single bank in the United States that we've touched has cryptocurrency in it. And what do we mean by this? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're banking crypto companies, because that's a very small portion of the banking population. But every single bank has consumers or small businesses that are transacting. These are consumers that are purchasing crypto either through their debit cards, their credit cards, their ACH and their wires. And we see those trends increasing. And if you look at elsewhere around financial services, OTC desks, now take on cryptocurrency as an asset class. 
hedge funds take on cryptocurrency as an asset class. So what you've seen is kind of mainstream financial services adoption. We're not seeing it go away. I think that's completely unreasonable to think of that. I think it's only going to grow and it's here to stay. Um, I think the key thing is let's as as a financial services ecosystem, let's manage the good crypto against the bad crypto. Yeah, fantastic. Very, very similar to the way you would manage a, a fiat relationship, for example. You know, you always want to verify who it is you're dealing business, doing business with. Um, do you see the regulatory environment uh, kind of moving along with all the events that are taking place in the crypto economy? Uh, for example, global uh, advisory boards and, and local regulators as well? Yeah, I do. I think, um, especially if you look at kind of the U.S. market, the U.S. regulators, I think they've done an outstanding job on sitting back and monitoring and observing for the first few years of really widespread crypto adoption. I think they've done a great job of, let's call it listen and learn. But I think now is the time for action. I, I think what you're seeing is the regulators have gotten smart. They've gotten their hands around things. They've allowed innovation to occur in the space from not only the crypto exchanges and the, and the payment service providers, but also the banks, right? Um, again, there's, there's good crypto and bad crypto, and most of it is good crypto. So, and I think the regulators are understanding this and, and what their ultimate goal is, just like they do in fiat, Let's look at the risky stuff. Let's put controls and policies in place around the high-risk stuff. No different than they do for fiat today. They want to apply similar type thoughts and methodologies to the crypto space. Yeah, I, I can understand that because, um, you know, as you can take a bag of cash and go to a particular vendor of an illicit item and make that purchase, you can do the same in a borderless way with cryptocurrency. And uh, so I, I think it's, it behooves the regulators to uh, keep a close eye on what's happening. I kind of have this saying that uh, uh, regulation equals proliferation, right? We're not going to see the crypto sphere kind of expand to more areas of our life until the regulators get a firm handle on what's happening. And yeah, to your point, I, I agree. The U.S. regulators seem to be uh, at the forefront of that and uh, allowing enough innovation to take place to keep to keep the crypto economy moving, moving forward. Um, what are your expectations regarding specifically regulations uh, put forth by FinCEN here in the United States? So another great question. So what we're seeing is there's already some movement, right? So there was the recent um, OCC filing against Safra Bank. And basically this was around the bank was just not doing proper due diligence, right? This was, you know, it was directly related to crypto, but, you know, it should be due, they should be doing this type of due diligence on, you know, whether they're using credit card processing companies as customers or payment service providers or anybody. But what Sapper got in some trouble was they were onboarding cryptocurrency related money service businesses, but they hadn't really understood what the risks were associated with it. They hadn't, it didn't appear that they had validated that they indeed, they had a, a money service business license through FinCEN. And these included a variety of cryptocurrency companies. So I believe there were some exchanges in there. There were some digital currency ATM operators and even some crypto arbitrage uh, trading systems. So I think that was kind of the first 
and that's most recent. That was done here in February of 2020. But to your other question, FinCEN on a more broader basis, I do expect later this year that we will see uh, increasing regulations coming from U.S. Treasury at the top, I believe. But it'll be deployed and sort of enforced through the traditional organizations, FDIC, IRS, OCC, FinCEN, and so forth. So um, I think you can expect to see lots more regulation, but in a healthy way, right? And I think it'll look to sort of mimic what we do today in the fiat world, but just applied into the crypto side. Wow. Um, in your earlier comments, you referred to good crypto versus bad crypto. Can you give us some characteristics of what a, a good cryptocurrency transaction, not, not necessarily transaction, but just the characteristics of what would make a cryptocurrency clean and bankable to any regulated entity versus a bad cryptocurrency that has been used for illicit purposes in the past? Can you, can you just give us a little more definition around those two terms? Yeah, we've got a couple ways we measure that at CypherTrace. So again, CypherTrace is a is a cryptocurrency analytics company. Um, one of the things we track is we look at all the exchanges, ATM operators, even crypto gambling companies. We look at all of these, and we look to see what KYC programs they have in place, and then irrespective of that, how much illicit activity they support. So, for example, um, you know, you can think of it as very simply red, yellow, or green on the KYC programs. You know, does a, does a cryptocurrency exchange, do they validate the individual that they onboard onto their platform? By doing that, do they, do they look for a government ID, and do they indeed validate that government ID to be accurate and current? That would be a good KYC score. That would be something kind of in the green category. Um, on the yellow side, maybe they ask for government IDs, but maybe they don't actually validate them. They're just sort of collecting them, right? So, so some good ones will come through, and then people who understand they don't validate, they'll, they'll go there as well. Or in the yellow, maybe they once you get in, there's no AML on anything, you know, under two Bitcoin or something. So there's a lot of stuff that can run under kind of their uh, their risk and alert system versus in the absolute red category. This is where all you need is an email address. You're up and running. You can do anything you want on the platform. So those are kind of the categories of risk as it relates to crypto entities. And so what we help banks with and, and other organizations is identify who's the counterparty at the end of their transactions. So whether in the banking world, as an example, a debit card transaction, a credit card transaction, an ACH or a wire, the entity that is either being sent money to or received money from What's the entity, and what is, what's its risk rating? Is it red, yellow, or green? I would argue green is good. You should probably encourage it if you're a financial institution. It's, you're going to generate fee income off of that, whether it's credit card fees, debit card fees, ACH and wire fees. That's good, healthy stuff. And by the way, it's kind of new in the last five years, so that's a new revenue stream. But I think the yellows and reds you need to look really, really hard at and determine whether or not that fits into the risk policies of your specific financial institution. All the financial institutions out there have different risk tolerances, but I think where the scrutiny comes in is in those yellow and red categories. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Uh, I had the privilege of recording a, a podcast for the AC, 
FCS uh, about a year ago, uh, where I discussed the impact blockchain will have on the traditional AML risk assessment uh, and the idea behind digital identity basically taking country risk out of the equation because digital identity will allow uh, bank customers, for example, Nicaragua, uh, to come to the table with their own risk assessment as opposed to countrywide risk. And I, I bring that up just because you're pointing out how cryptocurrency transactions could fundamentally change the way we handle just standard AML risk assessments prior to that day when digital identity becomes a standard feature. So once again, we're seeing that impact to the to the risk assessment, and it, it seems like this would this would fit very nicely into any financial institution's risk assessment uh, from the crypto side. So um, fascinating stuff, Steve. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there, there's there's many analogies again back to fiat, right? So for example, one of our recent uh, research projects uncovered that if you just look at exchanges in general, crypto exchanges, about seventy percent of their volume goes to another exchange so what does that mean so that's that means if you're let's say you're an individual at a bank and you purchase five hundred dollars worth of bitcoin and you do it with your credit card and that ends up at an exchange so you now have an account at that exchange with five hundred dollars of equivalent bitcoin value 70 to 80 percent probably closer to 70 percent of the time that will then get moved to another exchange what this starts to feel like for us and I'm an old payments guy, is correspondent banking, right? Hmm. So yeah. now what's happened is if I'm a financial institution, this is why it's so important to understand counterparty risk at the end of your financial payment rail. You know, just because it goes to an exchange that's green may not be that's where its ultimate destination is. But clearly if it's going to an exchange that has kind of a red or yellow category, kind of what we just talked about on the risky side, it may indeed just be sort of a transfer account, right? Much like you see with correspondent banking. You know, if a, in the U.S., if a, if a small credit union or community bank wants to move money overseas internationally, they usually don't have their own capabilities. What they do is they'll create a relationship with a correspondent bank um, that's a much bigger bank, tends to be a money center bank. They'll send money there, and then it gets facilitated there. We're seeing the same analogies kind of in the crypto space when they start to do this exchange-to-exchange -exchange sort of uh, crypto transfers. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to reside in the greater Boston area, and uh, I'm, I'm involved in the, uh, the meetup scene when it comes to blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And as you can imagine, with institutions like MIT and Harvard locally sourced, uh, there tends to be a very interesting cross-section of individuals attending those meetups. Uh, I can't talk about those enough. They're, they're incredible um, meeting places to discuss all things blockchain and crypto. But one segment of that population tends to be kind of the more libertarian individual, crypto maximalist, Bitcoin maximalist, individuals who believe that Cryptocurrency will completely supplant the fiat system. In 20 years from now, there will not be a U.S. Federal Reserve uh, controlling the flow of money. Um, I don't buy into that. I think that is a little too radical. But I do believe that there will be two universes. Uh, there will be the crypto universe operating alongside of the legacy or, or fiat universe. And, uh, you know, eventually or 
from time to time, those two, it's like a Venn diagram. They do overlap from time to time. And uh, you will have, I think what you're seeing based upon what you've described is traditional legacy firms seeing that they do have skin in the game when it comes to cryptocurrencies, whether they're aware of it or not. Um, do, do you see these two universes uh, operating in tandem with one another uh, down the road, say, forecasting out 20 to 30 years? Do you see these two universes uh, symbiotically related, uh, feeding off of one another, enhancing one another? Or do you see, like my libertarian friends believe, crypto completely dominating the fiat side? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's interesting. You do get those two perspectives out there. Um, I think I think it's somewhere in the middle. So so here's why. Again, I'm an old payments guy. Uh, I was at First Data years ago when the Internet was coming online, and we launched all the initial merchants on the Internet. This was pre-eBay, pre-Amazon, stuff like that. And we saw who was transacting and so forth. I later joined Visa, and um, and we sort of, you know, we put together controls and so forth as as sort of the Internet was being e-commerce enabled. And it's an interesting place. When I joined Visa in the early 2000s, one of the things um, I came in there is sort of a misnomer. Everybody at the time was saying cash and checks are dead, right? They're just dead. It's going to die as financial instruments. Well, you fast forward to today, 2020, we still have cash. We still have checks, especially in the United States, right? So now what we've also seen is monster growth from Visa and MasterCard. If you look at their their growth since they've gone public and their numbers have been public, huge amounts of electronification of the payment system, right? But at the same time, there's still cash and checks out there. So these things are coexisting while there's still massive growth. I would obviously say electronification is growing faster than the cash and check business. But And I see similar things happening in crypto. One of the things we're expecting to see is central banks adopting cryptocurrencies at a country level. And I think it's if you really dig into this stuff, it's pretty safe to say or, or there's a logical understanding to say, you know what, fast forward 20 years from now, most every country in the world will have their own digital currency. It will sit alongside still their paper cash. It'll still sit alongside if they have checks. Not all countries have checks. It'll still sit along checks. I don't think checks are going away. I don't think cash is going away. Visa and MasterCard will continue to expand and grow. But I think there'll be this new currency out there called digital crypto. But it'll be Bitcoin will still be there, too. But the U.S. will have some. U.K. will have something. And this will be basically for Internet commerce It'll be for global wire transfers, much more efficient than SWIFT and some of the legacy systems that are out today. Uh, with Bitcoin, I can move basically value anywhere in the world in 10 minutes. Try doing that with a wire transfer system. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And you don't have the visibility. You don't have the audit trails in place. So, so I do think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, I think crypto will expand and it'll go to central banks. But I think the legacy stuff's still going to be there. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating, and and really interesting to hear you compare it to uh, checks and those kind of traditional ways of payment. Uh, there are so many parallels between the rise of the Internet and the rise of blockchain, and that's yet another perfect example of how this could play out. So thanks for that insight. That is fascinating stuff. When, when I look at CypherTrace, I, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
Uh, I'm assuming that most of your early customers were crypto centric. They were the you know decentralized exchanges maybe coming online, uh, the 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 traditional larger cryptocurrency exchanges fully regulated based here in the United States. My assumption is those were your first customers. So as we're moving towards this kind of middle ground, as you point out, are you seeing more and more legacy financial institutions or legacy service providers request your services? Is that something that that's expanding with time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, sort of a little bit about the CypherTrace history. So we, when we started the company in 2015, kind of the original business case was really to help federal level law enforcement identify and trace illicit crypto activity. So we did that very successfully. It's still a, a core part of our business. Um, it's very important to the overall crypto economy to help grow this industry safe, safely and trustable, but also, you know, do it in a way that it can grow. Um, after that, we moved more into the exchanges, hedge funds, OTC desks, and we helped them validate source of crypto. And the importance of that was they wanted to make sure these early exchanges and OTC desks and hedge funds that were adopting crypto as an asset class, they wanted to make sure they weren't funneling illicitly used crypto, stolen crypto, things of that, whether they're, it's inbound to their system or or a destination off of it. So we did that very successfully as well. And then what we've really been doing, where it's expanded to, and again, we support all of those customers today. Nothing's changed. Nobody's going away. But it's expanded now to include banks. So the banks are now looking at crypto as a uh, as an asset class, and it's something that their customers are doing, and the customers meaning consumers. So if you look at any single bank out there today, they have consumers on their platform doing transactions, whether it's credit, debit, ACH, or wires. And so what we're helping the banks with is understand sort of the good crypto from the bad crypto, much like they do with fiat. Um, they already do this with fiat today. They have alerts for certain times of things. We're helping them generate alerts for kind of what the – the stuff they should be concerned about on the crypto side, which I'll tell you is a very, very small proportion of overall crypto. The great news here is most crypto, um, like fiat, is really, really good and healthy and generates fee income for all of these institutions. But there's always going to be a small faction of the illicit activity in place. And that's what we have to sort of manage as an ecosystem to make sure that that doesn't grow and prosper. So just to kind of sum this portion up, it looks like customer demand is there. The regulators seem to be on board uh, with regulating the space. And uh, many of the primary financial institutions are on board. I, I would point out that Fidelity Investments created an entire new wing, uh, a digital asset wing, uh, to service customers wanting to uh, participate in this economy. So, wow, it's an interesting time. and. There is a lot going on. I, I, it's almost a full-time job trying to keep up with everything that's going on in this space. Um, and, uh, you know, we hope to bring the BAE Net Reveal product uh, around and hopefully have solution built in in the short term to answer uh, those questions that our customers have and future customers will have when it comes to uh, the crypto economy. So thanks very yeah, much. I, I would just add, your time. add to that. Yeah. yeah, I would just add to that that I, I think BAE is uniquely positioned 
um, with their net reveal product to facilitate, you know, supporting the banks to identify the good and the bad crypto. Um, and I'll just end with kind of one thing, you know, having been sort of in the payments and banking world for, for all of my career, there, there's now been three major initiatives that I've been able to participate in in my career. Um, the first was this whole mobile cell phone thing. Remember that happened in uh, the late 80s and 90s. It just sort of changed the world, right? Um, and then we had this thing called the Internet, which connected the world. And now we have this thing called cryptocurrency that allows e-commerce to flow seamlessly cross borders. Um, those are three major initiatives. I would argue that crypto was every bit as big or bigger than the internet and, and mobile phones. So this is ground moving for the world. Um, and I think it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I think we need to, as an ecosystem, learn to embrace it, but manage the risk. I couldn't agree more. Steve, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having this conversation. Great. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Doug, Steve, really appreciate the time and the insight. And I doubt this will be our last journey together through the crypto sphere. Uh, as you rightly point out, this is only going to become more relevant for the financial sector, legacy or otherwise, and, and likewise more relevant to our audience. And we, we hope you'll join us again. Thanks, everyone, for listening.